Mark's version of the temptation story is very different from Matthew and Luke's. The reading is so short, it's just two verses, that we include the text that we had from a few weeks ago, from his baptism, as a reminder that he was baptized for us. But in its simplicity, in these two verses, perhaps it makes us, or causes us, to see the profound comfort that this is. That the Spirit would drive Jesus out into his own wilderness experience. Jesus here is spirited away into a secluded space. Jesus will not encounter any other human being for 40 days and 40 nights. The only one he encounters is the accuser, Satan. And you'll remember what the word Satan means. It means the accuser. And this is helpful because it tells us what Jesus is struggling against is what we often struggle against. Any voice of accusation, whether it comes from the devil or from my own, our own consciences or from our enemies. Jesus succumbs to 40 days of accusations and lies from Satan. Mark doesn't tell us what any of those lies and accusations are other than Jesus was being pummeled by them, these false statements, perhaps about Jesus himself, making Jesus question his own identity, his own reality, where God the Father played a role in his life, making him question himself and God's promises just as he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when God put them there, and the accuser asks, did God really say? Perhaps the accuser told Jesus, you're not the Messiah you think you are. You are not God's beloved son and child. We know that the accuser has perfected the art of making accusation raising questions about God and ourselves, our own identities, that we know are rooted in Christ, and rooted in his birth, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. The accuser wants us to live our lives outside of that and to live in shame and in guilt to the point that some of us even hate ourselves and condemn ourselves and have our own voice of accusation running on and replaying in our heads to the point that we don't need a devil because we have one at work in ourselves, our own demons to battle with. And you'll remember that the accuser specializes in gaslighting people, making them question their own reality and the reality of God in their lives. This accusing voice now threatens to tear Jesus down, his sense of self, 
his sense of mission, his confidence that he is doing the will of the Father. Whatever it was, it was enough to test Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Remember that it is, was no easier for Jesus to face the devil than it is for any of us to face our own demons. Why? Because Jesus is human. Yes, Jesus is perfect. He's divine. But Jesus has taken on our humanity and all the things that go with it. All the burdens that we share. Jesus is in a desolate place. He's in a vulnerable state. He's been weakened through hunger. He's been weakened emotionally. He's been weakened to the point that the devil finds an opportunity. Mental health professionals have, have given a really helpful acronym for what Jesus may have experienced. It's H-A-L-T, HALT. Anytime we're hungry, anytime we're angry, although I don't think Jesus was ever angry in the way we're angry, certainly not in a sinful way. Whenever we're lonely, which Jesus certainly experienced, and when we're tired. These four things can make us especially vulnerable when we face our own accuser in our lives. Whether that accuser comes from without, like the devil himself, or from within. When we're hungry and lonely or tired, or some of those things or all of those things at the same time, we become easy prey. It's easy for us to lose objectivity to get caught up in our growling stomachs, our irritable moods, our feelings of unworthiness, our sense of isolation, or our physical, mental, or spiritual exhaustion. We are exactly where the accuser wants us to be in a vulnerable state, ready to almost break. We are more likely to believe the accuser's lies and accusations. We're more likely to want to believe those lies because our thoughts and emotions seem more real than what is actually happening around us and outside of us from what God sees. The voice of the accuser may whisper in our ears, you are a failure. You're a no good sinner. You're worthless. Nobody loves you. Or the lies are about someone else. They're outside of what God can do. They're completely evil. They deserve what they will get. God does not love them. Or the lies are about God. There is no God, as the fool says in their heart. You are 
completely alone. There's no evidence that God is. I can't see him. I cannot hear him. There's no sign of his presence in our time of need. So the lie goes, he is not with us. Again, Mark has very few details with a lot of meaning. And one of my favorite sentences here is that Jesus was with the wild beasts. He wasn't alone. These animals that are often a threat are now tamed by God to be his companions. The angels are also there. These other creatures that are often not seen by the human eye are also, we're assured, we're with Jesus serving him. Jesus may have appeared in our eyes to be completely isolated and alone, but even in his solitude, God was with him and gave him the signs and the comfort that he needed. Maybe it was the sound of the rustling in the brush or the hooves or the paws on the rocky soil or the flapping of angels' wings or maybe their words as messengers of God bringing him words of comfort and assurance that he was with him. Our text says that the angels served him. To serve is where we get the word deacon. Did you know that, deacon? (laughs) It means that they served Jesus. The angels of God served Jesus, the son of glory. And in what way did they do that? We're not told. Was it simply their presence? Just as Job's good friend sat with him in the ashes as a way of comforting him, not saying a word, but his mere presence, showing them that he was in solidarity with him. The angels were with Jesus to strengthen him. Or was it that they brought a word of comfort and a reminder to him that God would never leave him or forsake him? Last year, Elizabeth and I were on our way back from a walk in the neighborhood, and we walked up the hill across the parking lot and we saw this beautiful rainbow in the sky. In fact, it was a double rainbow. And it was going right over the church. And, and I'm sure that you have seen the picture that Jackie Flynn took. And right after she took the picture, she texted Elizabeth and me. And she said, be sure you go outside and see this. Because what is it other than a reminder, right, of what we read earlier in our service? that God is indeed with us in his presence and his promise. And there it is. Thank you, Glenn. Our reading from Genesis reminds us of this beautiful, colorful ark that no optician and no specialist in optics can explain, really, in a way that we can understand. But what it does tell us and what God wants us to understand, that is he is the great I am, whose presence and promise is always with us. And so creation can be this reminder 
for us to look around at God's creation just as he did with Jesus with the wild beasts as a reminder of God's presence and faithfulness to us. But you and I often don't see those signs, do we? Until after the storm, just like Noah and his family did not see the rainbow until after the flood. It's when we're in the wilderness sometimes that it becomes more difficult to know and be assured that God is with us. We feel like we've been driven out into the wilderness of this world. Or maybe we've been driven into the wilderness of our interior world where we need to have our inner beasts tamed and we need our better angels awakened by God in our want, in our need, in our emotional turmoil, in our exhaustion, and even in our own loneliness. The accuser will attack. The accusing voice will say that we are ugly, wretched, utterly alone, not worthy to be called the beloved children of God. But those are lies. Those are to lure you and me into doubting who we are in Christ. They're clever accusations from the accuser, but they are no match for what Jesus will do and has done for us. When we feel alone and helpless in our struggles, when God seems far off or as a, we feel that he has abandoned us in whatever wilderness experience we have experienced or are experiencing or will experience, these scriptures remind us to look around, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. He sends his rainbows. He sends his sun and his moon. He sends his ministering angels. He sends his messengers with the word. He may even send you or he'll send me to each other that we might be servants of each other to comfort and to assure us that God is with us. He sends these divine messengers to us so that we are exactly where the Holy Spirit has led us to be. Ready to surrender to Christ. To surrender our understanding. To surrender our weakness. Just as Christ does with Paul when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my power is perfected. You and I have been spirited away to realize our ultimate dependence upon Christ. This is the truth of who we are in Christ. His beloved children. We are in him. We have our strength in him. Jesus has gone out into the wilderness before us and for us in this text to show us the way safely through the wilderness and through the valleys of the shadow of death. For us, he is baptized. For us, he's tempted. 
For us, he triumphs on the cross and through the empty grave over all our fears, over all our accusers and accusations, and even all our sin, and even death itself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.